Hi, welcome to Sleep Cove with Christopher Fitton, the place to get a great night's sleep. Please listen to this recording where you can safely go to sleep. I hope everyone is tucked in bed, ready to take the adventure tonight to ancient Olympia, where we'll meet and see some famous athletes and see the Temple of Zeus, one of the seventh ancient wonders of the world. If you like this recording, I've also done recordings where we visit ancient Sparta, ancient Greece and Athens, as well as reading some ancient Greek myths. I'll leave a link for these episodes in the notes. And let's begin. To begin with, we're going to be doing a couple of deep breaths. In through the nose, filling the stomach and then hold at the top of the breath for two seconds and then relax and take another deep breath in, hold for a couple of seconds more and then gently relax out and exhale, always making sure the exhale is longer than the inhale, so we can equalize our breathing and come back to a good level of breath. You feel so relaxed as you drift back in time. You drift to the year 396 BC to the site of Olympia in ancient Greece. And we are going to visit the Olympic Games. And you find yourself standing on Mount Cronus, surveying ancient Olympia below you. The Ionian Sea is shimmering in the distance as the sun dances on the gentle waves. The sun is against a deep blue sky with scattered fluffy clouds and you feel the slight breeze of the sea. You start to follow a small track down the gentle slope of the mountain It winds down and down through the olive trees which grow on their steep slopes and provide shade. And you walk in and out of the sun and the shade of the olive trees. At this stage, the games have been in progress since 776 BC for nearly 400 years and they have become one of the most important events in ancient Greece, both spiritually and politically, the victors gaining glory and prestige, not just honour to themselves, but they also bring honour to their cities, with spectators visiting 
from not just all over ancient Greece, but the whole of the Mediterranean world. Thousands of people, young and old, wealthy and poor, would camp in the searing heat to see these games. For just two days every four years, the sanctuary at Olympia would be alive with people. The temples full of offerings, the sporting facilities being used by the greatest athletes in all of Greece, and the streets streaming with people buying precious objects from the market stalls, food and wine from tavernas, and listening to the poetry of the most celebrated poets of the day, who recorded the monumentous victories forever. You enter the town of Olympia. As you wander the streets, you can hear excitement coming from towards the river from the east, and decide to walk in that direction. In front of you is a medium-sized statue of Zeus of the Oath. Here you see many athletes participating in a swearing-in ceremony for the Olympic Games. The participants swear that they will follow the rules and the judges swear that they will be fair and unbiased. As you thread your way through the crowds of people, you start to admire the brightly coloured robes of a young noblewoman. The beautiful red and purple silks are so rich and rippled in the breeze. They are held together at her shoulder by an intricate gold brooch, adorned and dazzled with deep blue lapis lazuli. The jewels are also used in the fine gold necklace and earrings, along with emeralds which glittered in the sun. Her hair was styled up and held in place with beautiful jeweled pins. Her jet black curls cascading down her back. With her was her husband, equally grand and elegant in his matching robes and brooch. On his wrists, his golden cuffs and his sandals are made from the finest leather. In the whole of Olympia, there are so many visitors who are wearing their finery, as the Olympic Games is the place to see the sights and also be seen in the high social circles of Greek society. The couple stop to look at some trinkets at a market stall and you continue to walk towards the east. Just ahead, you see the elegant columns of a large square building, nested amongst the plain trees. There is an inner and outer square of columns, forming a portico, under which small chambers are found, circling a perfectly square inner courtyard. Inside the courtyard, 
you can hear a commotion and the sounds of cheering. You walk through a passageway and into the central courtyard and you find yourself in the palestra, the ancient training ground for martial arts in Olympia. You see the athletes practice their wrestling and boxing, their supporters cheering them on from the shade of the portico. The atmosphere here is playful and light. The athletes are enjoying the opportunity to practice before the major competitions to come. And you can see the skills of the wrestlers as different men lose and win their bouts. As you leave the palestra, you walk south. There seems to be more people joining the celebratory atmosphere at these games. The streets have market stalls and entertainers, poets and artists. You realise that you feel hungry and stop at a small taverna. You sit outside at a rustic table, under the shade of the vines, which have wrapped themselves around the wooden pagoda. A serving girl comes over and pours you a cup of red wine from a terracotta jug. The wine is sweet and rich. Just a minute later, she hands you a small platter of food. You can see the soft white feta cheese, stuffed vine leaves, fat green olives, and beautiful baklava oozing with honey. The food is just as delicious as the wine, and you savour each bite. As you head back into the sanctuary of Olympia, you see a mass of people surrounding the grandest and most elaborate building at the site, right in the centre of Olympia. The Temple of Zeus draws your attention. These games are in honour of Zeus, and this is his temple and the crowds are amassed outside, with visitors presenting offerings to the mightiest of the gods. And inside this temple, there is a wonder of the ancient world. Over many Greeks, this would have been the largest building they would have ever seen in their lifetime. In fact, the Pantheon in Athens was built to outdo this temple. It is so huge. You see the huge triangular pediment of the western side of the temple, resting on six columns. This is the western entrance. The white marble of the pediment is intricately and beautifully carved depicting a battle between centaurs and men. As you circle your way to the east side entrance of the building, the main entrance, 
The pediment here features a chariot race. As you ascend the stairs to the entrance of the temple, you can see the exquisite detail of the carvings. The horses in the chariot race seem to be almost alive as you step under the pediment and into the temple. As you look up, from here inside, where you're standing, you see that the marble roof tiles have been carved so finely and from such perfect marble, the light of the sun is glowing through the roof, illuminating the temple inside. You walk inside the temple's inner sanctum. Inside you can smell incense burning and see jars containing offerings around the base of a statue. You look up and before you is the most enormous statue that you have ever seen. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Seated on a throne of cedarwood is Zeus, the god of thunder and lightning. The throne is intricately carved and painted with vines and plants, as well as animals and dancing nymphs. It is adorned with jewels, gold, ebony and ivory. And sat upon this throne is Zeus himself. The statue is made from ivory and gold and stands an imposing 13 meters high. His robes look so realistic, like silk, and in his hands is a golden staff topped with an eagle. You can see Zeus's face, the curls of his hair fall so realistically over his shoulders and his laurel wreath crown is painted green. You look at his face, his strong square jaw and beard, which look noble and strong, fierce and fair, and you stare in wonder at this monument. The scale and the spectacle is breathtaking, unlike anything you have seen before. As you leave, you are swept up with a crowd outside the temple. The atmosphere is excited and full of anticipation, as the first of the games is about to start. Amongst the crowd, you hear the different dialects of Spartans and Athenians, Thebans and Corinthians. The conservative and dour clothing of the Spartans, contrasting with the brighter and more refined fashions of the Athenians. No doubt the Spartans feeling superior to the richly dressed Athenians, which was their manner. The crowd begins to slowly move towards the Hippodrome, young and old, rich and poor rubbing shoulders and enjoying the sense of celebration in the air. As you walk along the hot and dusty path to the Hippodrome, 
you see the wide and dusty track up ahead on a large flat plain, vast in size and scale. The seats are already beginning to fill, and you spot an empty space nestled under one of the canopies and take your seat for the first event. At the far end, through a large tunnel, some exquisite chariots, each pulled by four of the most beautiful adorned horses, begin to arrive and do a lap of the hippodrome, firing up the crowd. The hippodrome is a long oblong course with a very thin central raised area that is as long as the course with five huge columns in the center of the central area. This makes the oblong track which the chariots race around. The four horse chariot race was known as the most exciting and spectacular event and there are soon no spaces available in the grandstands. Each chariot is carved and painted elaborately. The horse bridles made from the finest leather and adorned in intricate metalwork. As each competitor arrives in the arena, the chariots begin to line up. The chatter of the crowd begins to fall silent as the sense of anticipation for the start of the race builds. Suddenly, a huge bronze eagle symbolizing the god of Zeus is lowered, indicating the start of the race. The horses bound around the course, and the wheels of each chariot spinning so quickly, they become a blur. As each chariot approached the turns, the drivers held on with a mega strength they feel they got from the gods. As the first lap was completed, a bronze dolphin, the symbol of Poseidon, was lowered and some of the competitors began to fall behind. At the front, three chariots are battling out for first place. At the front is a chariot painted in deep green with gold leaf trim. Behind battling to overtake it are a red and a sky blue chariot. As they approach the turn, the leader does not slow down and continues to pick up pace. The chariot cannot stay on the track and crashes into the wooden barrier and the driver lands in the sand. The chariot is destroyed and the horses are led away from the track. As the bronze dolphin is lowered a second time, it's neck and neck between the red and the blue chariot for first place. The crowd is fixed on this battle as each driver tries to edge past the other. The third, fourth and fifth laps go by until we reach the sixth and final lap and the blue chariot has finally pulled ahead 
and the race seems all but over. But then, on the final straight, the red chariot begins to pick up pace. The crowd falls silent. The horses are so fast and so in sync, they appear to be flying as they race towards the finish line. In the last few meters, the red chariot manages to do the impossible and passes its competitor to win the race. The crowd explodes into a rapture of celebration, but above all the other spectators, the Spartans are the loudest and most exuberant. The red chariot was one of their own competitors. Suddenly, from the seating area, reserved for nobility and competitors, a woman makes her way through the crowd to the victory ceremony. There were audible gasps, as many in the crowd were shocked to see a woman claim victory in this race, as this would be the first time ever that a woman had won an Olympic event. This was Siniska of Sparta. She owned and personally trained the horses which had won the event. Women were not allowed to compete at the Olympics, but as the owner of the horses won the prize in these times, Siniska used this loophole to enter her horses and chariot into the race. As you watch her receive her laurel crown of victory, you realise you have seen this woman before. She is the beautiful and fashionable lady you saw earlier today in the market, and now looking even more radiant in her victory. Next it is time to go to the stadium for the final events of the day. You turn towards the stadium, and you see up ahead a gentle mound rising from the flat ground as you can hear the chatter of thousands of people in the air from this mound. Ahead a large stone rises. This is the gateway to the stadium. You pass through the archway, through a stone tunnel, and before you opens up the enormous arena. Over 200 meters long and nearly 100 meters wide, with rows upon rows of seats encircling the track below. Again you take your seat. It was time for the final match of the wrestling tournament to begin. The two finalists emerge from their respective tunnels. A huge Spartan man at least six foot four, with a chest the size of a barrel. His long black hair plattered down his back. The second finalist is a smaller, wiry, bronzed Theban, still large and strong, but dwarfed by his Spartan counterpart. The match begins and the winner is the first competitor to pin his opponent three times. The Spartan is using his sheer size and wait to overcome his competitor, grabbing and throwing him to the ground twice in quick succession. 
like he weighed no more than a child. However, by the third game, the Spartan is beginning to slow down. The heat and the exertion taking its toll on his huge frame. The Theban sees his chance. He is light-footed and dances around his competitor, tripping him up as he lunges to try and win his third game. The Spartan falls to the ground, his shoulder making contact with the floor and handing a point to the Theban. The next game goes to the Theban too. So the fifth and final game is for the win. Both competitors are now exhausted and the crowd is electrified. The final game begins, the Theban dancing around the Spartan, the Spartan reaching for victory. The Spartan manages to grab his competitor. He begins to grapple him and it seems as though there is nothing the Theban can do. However, as quick as a flash, the Theban shifts his weight and the Spartan tumbles, unbalanced by his own huge size. He crashes to the ground and the Theban claims the laurel crown. You now watch some of the field events, where the early classic games of discus and javelin throwing were taking place. As the competitors use their strong physiques, to hurl the ancient equipment, which are still used today in the modern Olympics. After the field events finish, there is one final event which is named the Stain. As the race takes place the length of the stadium, which is about 600 Greek feet. The 15 athletes line up and there is silence in the crowd as the judge starts the race, and then a fast sprint to the end of the stadium to finish. The crowd is excited and cheers on their heroes. A local man wins the race, and the local spectators are elated, for they can cheer their own man on. The sun is high in the sky now, and you head towards where the feasting hall is being held, in the Pritaneion, where the last day of celebrations are. You walk past the gilded statues of former winners of the Olympics. The Greeks believed the Olympics was the highest honour a mortal man could achieve. And the winners sometimes even paid for their own statues to be immortalised. You go into the feasting hall and take a seat. There is merriment and dancing, and you now hear the music from entertainers who are playing instruments and are singing victory odes that the winners have commissioned themselves. You drink and eat the delicious Greek delicacies and talk and speak with the winners and finish the night dancing to the entertainment. It has been a long day and now you have decided to go to your quarters. And you walk out into the courtyard where they have the fire of Hestia. 
It is a huge fire, set in a cauldron. The fire is alight day and night, and the fire is taken from here to light the fires all around the city. This is where the tradition of carrying the sacred Olympic torch originates. Within the outer building, you find your sleeping quarters. A bath has been drawn already for your arrival, and you climb in the marble bath that is warm and clean yourself and get rid of the stresses of the day in this hot bath as you relax and remember the day's activities. After you have cleaned yourself, you dry yourself with the cloth provided and get ready for bed, and you get cosy and comfortable on the cotton sheets. You've had a great day, and you're going to make it a tradition to come back every four years to watch and celebrate the Olympic Games in ancient Olympia. But for now you decide to fall asleep and dream of the magnificent sights you have seen and learned.